sound from the sunroom at the front of the house. For half an hour it had gone on, starting faintly, then growing louder and more persistent. Mom, Grandma, or anyone else about the house should have heard it. It was not a knock at the door, and she was too small to be tending strange sounds. It was coming from inside the house, but all the same, she was just a kid. She tried to concentrate on the eggs in the glass incubator. Grandma had set them up in the sunroom, so there she was, staring and wishing they would hatch. The soft whump noise that was coming from the kitchen was distracting enough, but by the time the whump turned into a knock, she decided to check on the noise herself, 
even if she was just a kid. Down the hall, she walked fast and closed her eyes when she passed the staring portraits she did not prefer. Great-great-grandmother looked stern, and her pinhole camera eyes seemed to follow her every move. Old-old-uncle and aunt were in another, seated in the garden that still grew outside. Bubble glass made the trees in the background appear to move when she walked down the hall, so she kept her eyes closed until she felt the carpet turn to wood floor under her Mary Jane shoes. She opened her eyes at the end of the hall. Standing on the heating grate at the threshold of the kitchen was like entering a different world. Sun poured in the windows, where the chrome sink gleamed and the clean scent of ground cucumber contested with the dark hallway behind her. To her right, behind a steel face and plastic clasp, the wump knock came from the bread box on the counter. Pressing her hands into fists and her heels together, she steeled herself and reached for the clasp. Heels off the floor, she was almost too little to lower the door properly. In the dark back corner, a snake wound around the crusts and jams. Its long ebony body twisted as it reared its head up to smile around its own flicking tongue. Thanks, whispered the snake. A chirp of a scream escaped her mouth as she slammed the steel door up and closed. The catch was dumb in her tiny hand, and it fell open an inch before she could slam it once more and twist the knob to secure the snake within. Grandma! She panicked, rooted to the spot. Grandma, there's a snake in the bread box! She heard Grandma's heels hammer the hardwood coming from the smaller upstairs kitchen where she was likely preparing honeycomb. Grandma! The wooden stairs had no time to creak as her grandmother hurried down. The softer whack of heels in the hallway heralded the curious catch of heels passing over the iron grate. Laurel, honestly, a snake in the what now? She pointed vigorously to the bread box. Giant fearful tears crested in her eyes, tears that only a frightened four-year-old could make. Grandma reached for the handle. Jesus, there is no... The steel face of the bread box slammed open. Oh! Quick as ever, Grandma reached over little Laurel, grabbed the butcher knife from the sink edge, and stabbed wildly into the crusts and jams. The snake, not smiling anymore, darted out. Knowing escape, it wound its head deftly around the mirrored edge of the box, trying to slither fast away from the weapon. With its long body presented, Grandma brought the blade down fast, hard, over and over. Chopping sounds cracked off the hard counter, glancing off the metal edge. Snake chunks jumped from side to side, some long, some short, the writhing red of its insides stark against its once perfect black skin. Laurel had closed her eyes again, only opening them once the chopping had stopped. Grandma stood, knife in hand, inside. Well, you were right. There was a snake in the bread box. As if it were no big deal. Nothing was ever a big deal to Grandma. She scraped the snake chunks into a bowl off the edge of the counter with the knife. This she covered with a tea towel and handed to the stunned little girl. Be a dear and dump this over the fence, she said. It'll keep the other snakes away. (laughs) 
"'Where over the fence, Grandma?' replied Laurel. She did not want to have to go too far with that bowl in her hands. Shaken, she held the thin cloth tight around the bowl, lest one chunk of snake come writhing out. "'Oh, anywhere, really. Behind the barn would be best.' Laurel resolved she would dump the snake at the gate. No one would never know. She was scared of the barn, let alone behind it where the rooster patrolled and the turtles snuck around. "'Okay,' she turned toward the door. "'And not at the gate, at the back of the barn,' as if her mind had been read. "'Are you too scared? Should I go?' "'No, Grandma, I'll do it.' Laurel figured she would be watched to make sure she went to the back fence behind the barn. Through the gate, past the shed full of peeping chicks, past the storage shed, and past the broadside of the barn, Laurel followed the path that led to the rear fence. Inside the bowl, the snake was shifting. Small movements like a marble rolling around inside came through the plastic to vibrate her fingers. It made her walk faster. She was just past the barn when the soft towel pushed up in the center. Only for a moment the snake pressed up gently, and then settled again. Laurel wanted to close her eyes, but knew it might escape if she gave it that chance. Wump. The snake knocked the wall of the bowl hard from inside. Laurel jumped, the bowl tossed from her hands to her feet. Flipping once, the bowl rolled away and the tea towel flitted to land and was caught in a strand of buttercup. Two segments of wriggling snake danced at her feet. She had seen him chopped up into a million pieces, but here he was, in two. The snake pounded the ground and rolled his bottom half closer to the top half. Laurel stepped back, shaking again and scared. It was too close to her feet. The head of the snake pounded the hard dirt path, warming its top half to roll closer to the other red sticky stump of its body. As the two halves met, and once their union was realized, the snake rested. It turned its head to Laurel and smiled once again. She did see now that its head was made of stone. That was how it could knock so loud on the metal, the plastic, and then the dirt path. Red eyes appeared soft against the black of its chiseled head and inky body. The snake spoke once more. Sia, it said, then turned toward the turtle pond to slither away entirely whole. Abandoning the bowl and towel, Laurel rushed back to the house as fast as her little shoes would take her. Panting, paranoid, she closed her eyes while running as she burst through the gate. When she opened them, seconds later, she was safe under the pine by the woodpile. Grandma was not watching after all. The snake was not following her either. All she had to do now was explain why she had left the bowl and towel on the ground. Instead of coming in the door near the kitchen, she walked around the house to the door nearest the sunroom. The incubator light was humming. The Chesterfield nearby was cozy, and Laurel curled up to watch the eggs, just in case they hatched. She was far too little to know she had just met 
and assisted the escape of her first demon. Two summers passed, and the snake was forgotten. Grandma had returned the bowl and towel the next day, without a word. Laurel avoided the barn for a while, but eventually grew bold again. The first blanket of snow changed the barn from its dark look to a wintry postcard. With the next season of snow, the snake in the bread box story had all but disappeared. Laurel went alone to the barn from time to time. She collected eggs, she fed the pigs, vegetable scraps, and sometimes went there on her own accord. Still just a kid at six years old, someone was usually watching from the woodpile for safety's sake. Usually near the end of fall, the barn would give her the heebie-jeebies. Maybe it was because it grew dark so early. Halfway down the path, her heart would start to flutter. Her little knees would threaten to buckle. Imagined vermin or fear of a renegade rooster would have her slamming the barn doors shut and send her running back to the house, chores abandoned. Are you scared, honey? Do you want Grandma to go? No, Grandma. I'll do it. Laurel made her way past the gate holding a bowl in one hand and a tea towel in the other. She had been far more brave in the last few weeks collecting eggs. It was just easier when she didn't think about what could be in the barn, and just thought about being bigger now that she was six years old, and less timid. Even better, Grandma was showing her how to candle the eggs and look for chicks. All week they had been expecting to use the incubator, so Laurel was excited for egg collecting. Peeking for a quick moment into the empty shed reserved for puffy yellow chicks, she let the doors slam behind her. Soon there would be a light in there to keep them warm, and her new chore would be changing their water twice a day. Thinking about the last brood, she walked up the path to the barn. All she had to do after unlatching the barn door was prop it open with the pitchfork, and the sunlight would help chase the shadows away. Laurel stepped up into the concrete stoop and set down her bowl to grab a pitchfork. Just as she reached up for the latch, she heard a tiny cough. Ahem! came a sound from under the barn. Between the concrete stoop and the wooden threshold, two tiny amber eyes peered out. Jumping back, Laurel gasped, startled. Open the barn door, please, said the eyes. Laurel was too scared to speak. There was not a lot of room under the barn, not even enough for a kid. Dad shot skunks that lived under there a year ago, and the last thing she wanted was to be around talking skunks. Open the barn door, please, repeated the voice. After a few seconds, the eyes blinked, stared, and then blinked again. Laurel stood, pitchfork in hand, too frightened to move. She watched as a creature wriggled out between the gray concrete and the weathered wood. Those amber eyes belonged to a small fox. So small, in fact, that she doubted it was a fox at all. It was smaller than a squirrel, but bigger than a chipmunk, and was way less fat. Sorry, I guess I was talking from the dark, and that is rude. Forgive me, said the fox. You were going to open the barn door, yes? Well, yes, but not now, said Laurel, wary of the tiny fox. It looked more like a red weasel upon scrutiny. What are you doing under the barn? 
waiting for you. The fox, whose voice was neither deep nor high, could have been either male or female. It came closer, softly like a house cat, and flicked its very fox-like tail around her ankle. I like to sniff around the barn. It's nice in there. It's safe. You aren't scared in there? asked Laurel, disarmed by the polite nature of the critter, who seemed very well-spoken for an animal. It's dark, but safe for me. Safer than out here. Its eyes flicked toward the house. Besides, the chickens don't mind at all. At the mention of chickens, it clicked in little Laurel's mind. You eat chickens! You just want to eat the chickens! She chirped, suddenly angry with the little scamp. No way am I opening the barn door for you. Oh, oh no, little girl, I, I promise I would do no such thing. The fox sat back on its haunches, looking more like a small, obedient cat. Then why else would a fox want me to let it in the barn? At that, the creature laughed a high-pitched chuckle. <laughs> kitsune, Kitsune, I am a Kitsune. Well, fox is close enough, I suppose. But please believe me when I say I do not eat chickens. I really just like being safe in the barn. An expectant silence followed. Laurel weighed the possibility of Tiny Fox eating a chicken. Well, you, you are sort of small. Yes, I am. You could never even fit a whole chicken inside me. Never. It looked like the fox was plotting. How about you open the barn door for just a moment? Its eyes narrowed, but Laurel was not deceived. And what if I don't? Hand on one hip, she rested the pitchfork back against the barn wall, as if she had no intention of going inside. A sorrowful sigh escaped the dejected Kitsuna. Okay, let me level with you he said while resuming his cat-like weaving between her feet. I can't go in by myself. I can't stay unless invited, and, well... His tail tickled her leg just above her socks. It's just so safe and warm, it reminds me of home. It was pleading with her now. Laurel was more interested in the fox's black-and-white-tipped tail. She had never seen one in real life, but was sure they were larger. She was also sure that they only had one tail, and not four. Why does it remind you of home? she asked. And how did you get four tails? The kitsuna leapt up to her shoulder, tickling her cheek with his powder puff tails. You like them? Would you like one? I can give you one, for good luck, and it won't cost you a thing. I don't want a tail from you. She cannot imagine how he planned on giving her a tail. You just want in the barn. She craned her neck to regard the amber eyes of the talking fox on her shoulder. And an egg, blurted the fox. And an egg. Okay, let me level with you, said the Katsuna. I just need one egg and I will be on my way. You just wanted to trick me. "'Nope, not at all. I just really want it inside the barn.' The kitsuna smiled, pleased with its own version of honesty. "'To steal eggs!' 
cried Laurel, suddenly furious. The Kitsuna leapt down and lay on its back on the concrete. All four black paws hung playfully in the air. How about this? One egg. I won't even go in the barn. One egg, and you'll never see me again. To Laurel, this sounded all right. Grandma had loads of eggs. Maybe having this critter under the barn was spooking the hens into not having eggs with chicks in them. Maybe this way, she would get to see some hatch. One egg? One egg, said the Kitsuna, suddenly still and eager with the prospect of closing the deal. I will give you one egg if you never, ever go in the barn, agreed Laurel. I'll never go in the barn. You'll never see me again. One egg. She regarded the miniature fox, waiting to see if the plot would thicken. One egg. With a chicken in it. With a chicken in it? You are eating chickens, you tricky fox. Well, let me level with you. How else am I supposed to fit a chicken inside me if it isn't a tiny little chick? The lopsided grin of the fox infuriated the little girl. Oh, you tricky, tricky fox. I don't like you very much. It was the most venomous thing a six-year-old could utter given such circumstance. How am I even supposed to know what eggs have chicks in them without a candle? Trust me, Laurel, leveled the fox in a very grown-up voice. Whatever egg you choose to give me will have a chick inside of it. Regarding the fox, who was done pleading and was now beyond smug, she opened the barn door. Propping it open with the pitchfork, she walked halfway into the room, which was darker than she had hoped. Among the cooing and softly clucking hens, halfway through the barn, she glanced back at the Kitsuna. As obedient as a pet ferret, he lay curled in a ball with four tails lazily wagging, waiting on the step. Reaching under the lone roosting bird, she felt with her small hands among the straw and downy feathers for the single egg it had laid. Outside, in the light, she closed the barn door to regard the Kitsuna again. Without a word, she handed the egg over to his outstretched front paws. Turning his back to her, eyes flashing with greed, he ran his little paws over the smooth white shell. Faster and faster, he massaged the egg. Polishing, warming, his little paws were working a strange magic on the egg. Laurel crouched behind him to see better over his shoulder. Within a second, she heard it. The unmistakable sound of cracking shell. She had been told about the weak frailty of a baby chick, and how it was born with a tiny tooth on its beak to help break the shell. All she had wanted to see was a perfect little chick break free and hop out, cute as ever, to join the waiting world. What she saw was not like that at all. It looked more like a lizard than anything. Its feathers were barely there, thorny, matted with gel. Shell fell away, and with the last of its energy, the hideous creature was screaming. Screaming without a sound from its malformed and horned beak. 
Ugly black eyes rolled in its oversized head, and broken finger wings scratched the concrete as it tried to reach up to the sunlight. A low moan of starved pleasure escaped the Kitsuna as its black paws reached toward the flailing life form. Laurel's hand leapt to her mouth, stifling a startled cry. As quick as he could, the fox grabbed the newly hatched chick, bit its head off, and swallowed. The body writhed on the ground for a second, then twitched slowly with the last of its energy. The fox deftly tore one wing off, then the next, ate them, and soon the entire body was consumed. Kitsuna turned back around to face the horrified little girl. Now, said Kitsuna, I thank you and must run. I have another tail to grow. I will keep my end of the deal and I promise you will never see me again. The fox hopped off the step and into the grass. But Kitsuna, I want to know why did you trick me? asked Laurel. Kitsuna stopped, thought, and weighed a likely story to the truth. He looked back at the little girl, amber eyes dull with the gravity of honesty. I'm a demon, Laurel. A lesser and silly demon, but a demon nonetheless. Tricking people is what we do. She knew about demons from Sunday school and had an idea they were a big deal. But why trick me? Why make deals with me? I'm just a kid. You are small now, Laurel, but I'm also small. Maybe you'll understand when you are bigger, when your demons get bigger too. Before she could say another word, the fox leapt into a tangle of vetch and was gone. You are welcome, she said to the field, hoping that Kitsuna had heard. She knew she had now met her second demon. She had also saw her first chick hatching, but felt that somehow it did not count. Many summers passed, and so did Grandma. Laurel and her sister Willow stood out on the side lawn looking out over the fields behind the barn. Sunlight was fading and the girls were exhausted. They had spent the day cleaning Grandma's old room, exploring the attic and other dusty, musty chores. Several weeks had passed since the funeral, and Laurel, at age 13, was just able to converse with her family about it. They had all taken it quite hard, and any mention of memories or good times were too painful until today. "'Hell's Gate,' said Willow suddenly. "'What?' "'That's what Grandma called it.' She pointed out the tree line where two enormous pines stood. They swayed in the wind, nearly touching during storms. To Laurel, it did look like a gate. "'Who called it that?' "'Everyone.' She never said anything about it to me. Did she say why everyone called it Hell's Gate? Well, said Willow in a soft drawl to imitate Grandma, I suppose because it's a gate to hell. Laurel smiled, recalling Grandma's odd old way of speaking. Maybe it has something to do with that post in the big field. What would it have to do with that? Laurel usually forgot the post was even there. 
It was a regular post, but not attached to any fence. She thought it had been used when great-great-grandpa had horses. It could be a hitching post or where he lunged them, or it could be a future fence plan. Who knew? Willow looked at her squarely. You were the one who told me, Laurel. Don't play dumb. I have no idea what you're talking about. Last year you told me all about it. You gotta remember. Scared the hell out of me. Willow waited while Laurel shook her head. Pull and I will push? Huh? Pull and I will push. You told me about the murderer. He was hung, but he wouldn't die. He was shot and he didn't die, so they buried him under a post like that one. She pointed out the dark post jutting from the ground. Laurel laughed and stuttered. Not sure what to say, she had no recollection at all. When did I tell you that story? Last year. Remember when we shared rooms? One night before bed, you told me all about it. Not sure why. Hey, yeah, why did you tell me that? That post gave me the creeps ever since. Sorry, I, I had no idea. I don't remember. She was a little unsettled, having never heard the story, could not see herself making it up, and had never talked in her sleep from a dream. You pull and I will push, said Willow. Is that part of the story? asked Laurel. God, that is the story. When the moon is just right in the middle of the night, he will try to trick people passing by into setting him free. You really don't remember? No. Willow's voice grew deep and steady. When the moon is just right, you will hear the whisper of the demon in your ear. Pull, he will say, and I will push. Silence took them, standing side by side near the dying silver maple on the side yard. Laurel stared at the post. She was horrified by the story. Horrified by the fact that she told it. And horrified by the fact that she did not remember. For the first time in weeks, she was suddenly very glad that her parents had decided to sell the farm. By the time Laurel was 25 years old, much had changed. She left home, attended school, switched jobs, and abandoned men year after year. She favored large cities, and despite longing for the clean quiet of the countryside, she reveled in the demanding pace that the city provided. Over the years, she also met dozens of new demons. At least once a year, sometimes twice, she met and helped a demon. She accepted it the same way that approachable and clean-cut people accept that they will be asked the time before all others at a bus stop or in a queue. For Laurel, however, if she were asked the time, it might have been the Grim Reaper himself she obliged. She accepted this as fact and told no one. Learning to see them coming a mile away was sheer instinct. She read no books on demonology, no fiction, no facts. She carried no talisman to signal her presence, nor did she carry any ward to drive them off. Sadly, she had grown out of whispering snakes in a tricky fox. Fire demons had begged to be stoked. Water demons coerced her into clearing paths through brambles to better attract victims. A mammoth salamander once seated itself on her toilet for four days 
demanding that its throat be gilded by drinking molten gold. She had melted down all of her jewelry to oblige it and winced watching it swallow the searing hot liquid. A winged creature crashed through her window once, violently demanding that she did not look at it, and began hurling half-dead doves onto her bedroom floor. Four and twenty! Four and do not look at me! Luckily, she was sure no one else could hear it. If anyone had seen her milking the blood of doves into a glass bowl, she would have been dispatched to the closest nut house, for certain. Even if they had stepped around to watch the bowl of blood being lapped up by the beast, seen or unseen, she would have been thought mad. Laurel was not mad. Laurel was a very normal young woman. She did those things to her fair-weather demons without bravado, without payment, and largely without thanks. On the night of her 26th birthday, she realized she had not seen a demon since the Dove Blood incident nearly a year ago. On one hand, this was good. The fewer demons, the better. On the other hand, she was wary. As she aged, so did the demons. As she matured, they grew more hideous, less playful, and all the more demanding. That night, her friends were either busy or out of town. Workmates were not the type she wanted to spend her birthday with, so she resolved to go out alone. Choosing her favorite long, strapless black dress, she called a cab to deliver her through the frigid winter to her favorite bar. After a few drinks, chats with fellow regulars, and an obligatory hour admiring the reef tank, she sat watching the dance floor. He stood watching a table of girls across the room. She knew at once what she was looking at. Within the moment, she realized what he was. He looked up to her balcony and smiled. Two songs later, he stood closer to the table. Several women drained their dozens of glasses and pitchers. The table was littered with the remnants of what appeared to be a bachelorette party. Discarded pink feathers stuck and shrunk in the pools of alcohol that plastered the table. Between songs, laughter rocked them. Wild movements and silly gestures hinted at their level of intoxication. The man shifted closer still and stood one table away. Laurel was curious, so she made her way down. This would be the first time she willingly approached an evil one. They normally sought her out. Meandering through the tables, then the dance floor, she came to stand kitty-corner from the man and the gaggle of girls. He regarded her, then looked back to them. Tequila was served, an awful lot since the waiter left the bottle and all the accoutrement. Laurel shifted, so that only the high table stood between her and the man. He was ageless up close, gorgeous with fine features and perfectly clothed. Had the music not been deafeningly loud, they would have been standing close enough to speak. Lemon and shot glasses brimming with liquor were passed around the table before them. His eyes were trained on a sleek mane of long, dark hair that sat closest to her back to where they stood. Smiles, laughter, cheers, and one round went down at the table with much fanfare. 
He seemed to be waiting for one more drink to pass her lips before moving in. A rogue lemon wedge toppled to the floor. Liquor dripped from the sodden tabletop. A redhead stood by to pour more golden tequila into her friend's upraised glasses. Salt was being sprinkled on to coyly licked fists by a blonde. In a blur of feathers, liquid and squeals of delight, their limbs crossed the center of the ring. Sprinkled salt became a torrent when their arms collided. The cap had fallen from the shaker, spewing half of its contents to waste on the table and floor. Mouths agape, confused by the momentary gaff, they all froze for a moment. Sputtered laughter turned into a chorus, urging the girl to throw some over her left shoulder. The dark-haired girl took the shaker and flung the remaining salt around her head. Another chorus of whooping laughter accompanied her display of counteracting bad luck. One bare arm flung over her head, she slung the shaker around and around again. The spray landed in a perfect circle, encompassing the girls neatly. Not unlike Coven, they cackled and squealed before renewing their orgy of drink and joy. Laurel stood abreast the man. The music had calmed, and he spoke first. God did that to me, he said, indicating the salt circle he could not cross. A dry huff of disgust escaped his nostrils. Childish. He looked to Laurel, and she could see the rings of bile yellow surrounding what would appear to others' eyes the color of honey. I take it you're an incubus, she said. Yes, he replied, looking away. And you are my bad shepherd. It's different this time. You've been promoted, darling, to the big league, human forms. It dawned on her that he was correct. No more talking creatures. This was likely why she had felt bold enough to make the first move tonight. She turned and stood before him. Bad shepherd, you say? She tilted her head and quizzed the creature with her eyes. It's a dirty, dirty job, baby, he crooned, and left it at that. He looked over her shoulder at the figure of the dark-haired girl that backed to her expectantly. Adjusting her stance, crystals of salt cracked between her heels. What will you have me do? Laying his soft hands on her shoulders, he smiled. Fingers and palms pressing gently, he slowly caressed the soft flesh of her biceps. Thumbs caught just under the top of her strapless gown. He brought the neckline down further with a sweep of his hands. The tops of her previously encased breasts were now bare. The fabric from the edge of her dress tickled the tops of her feet. Let me look at you, he purred. His eyes searched her face, her neck, and further down. She stepped back once, standing on the arc of salt that kept him from his prey. Slowly, she curtsied. Her dress hem brushed the floor slightly. Beautiful. He inhaled as if to draw her in, or had caught the scent of another on the breeze. She sashayed left, then right. Her hands found the sides of her dress and gently tugged. She brought the hem down to brush the floor. Another portion of her chest lay exposed. Turn around, he said, then repeated, Let me look at you. 
With a turn of her hips, she faced away, then looked back to his face, now awash with pure pleasure. She turned, a lazy pirouette, then whirled about face. Her dress flared out, billowing suddenly. Fabric that had hugged her legs bloomed out, sweeping the floor. Salt kicked up and brushed across his shoes, harmless now. His sheepish smile delighted her, and she turned for him again faster this time, sending the binding circle of white crystals sprawling. Not much salt remained where she stood now, and he was grateful. Grasping her as the music swelled, he held her close. I don't suppose there's a proper way to thank you, is there? He pouted, not knowing any other way to be but tempting. Tell me more about this dirty job. She moved his hands from her waist and stepped aside, softly dragging her hand across his taut stomach. Oh my, how the tables have turned, he said, turning to lock into her own wanting gaze. You, my seductress. Oh, I don't think so, she refused, hiding a slight blush. Coming around his left shoulder, he turned his head to meet her gaze with his illusory human eyes. In hell, there's a story. It ends with your name. Go on, Laurel said. It's a very short story, love. There's not much to tell. As he looked at the floor, she understood he did not know much more, and if he did, he was bound to say no more. Like the circle of salt, demons had rules to follow. Is the title of the story Bad Shepherd? He nodded, yes. Are there others? He nodded, no. She was out of questions. He added, What I can tell you is that you should be on the lookout for possession. I'm going to be possessed? He smiled, stroked her face and spoke to her softly, his breath on her jaw and his voice sweet in her ear. Possess you? His lips almost touched her skin. No. No one, no demon could ever possess you, my dear. He looked again to his quarry, the dark-haired girl. As he strode through the breach in the circle, all of the women turned to see him, as if he were expected. Time passed. No new demons appeared. She had stopped looking for them as they stopped looking for her. Temptation to research was fought easily as she was certain the more she knew, the greater horrors hell would have in store for her. She worked, lived, traveled in, and grew into her full womanhood without incident until she was forced to travel home. The emergency waiting room was too garish. It was too bright. The chapel was too dark. Both rooms were far too lonely. Intensive care was a disturbing blend of each. She walked the halls waiting for her cell phone to ring. Her mother was in the recovery room waiting for her father to wake up. Laurel had taken a flight that morning the moment she had news of the heart attack, then found herself in her hometown by noon. It was now two o'clock in the morning. 
She walked, hoping to tire herself out and sleep. Roaming the first floor, she climbed the stairs to the second. The third floor intensive care was familiar to her, so she skipped it for the fourth and fifth. On the sixth floor, she found storage, empty rooms, empty beds. Tracing the halls, there were very few lights on. The only footfalls she heard were her echoes. After looping the entire west wing, she went north from the elevators toward the stairwell. Knowing the hospital only had six floors, she debated the stairwell leading to the roof. The door was unlocked. Peering inside the chilly space within, six steps led up to an exterior metal door. With a press of her fingertips, the crash bar slid home. September air cleared her head in one breath as she walked to the far right and looked down at the city. A low moan came from somewhere in the darkness, almost as low and long as a creaking door. She wondered if it was human. Behind her was a short wall to the higher portion of the roof. Clinging to the access ladder, she climbed it quickly despite numbing fatigue. Across the roof stood a woman, her filmy medical gown gauzily transparent and light streaming from the streets below. Arms lazily bracing the steel railing, she turned at Laurel's footsteps, rolling on loose gravel. Twisted in a grimace of pain, the girl's face was streaked with tears, where she had wept through grime and dust. Eyes shining, her mouth formed whisper words. Help me. As Laurel neared, she could see how the girl, once beautiful, was now ravaged. Odd bruises marked her collarbone, eyes sunken and ringed with sleeplessness. Their bright blue flashed with fear and tears. A chipped tooth sat loose in her lower jaw. Her lips were drawn and chapped, stained with blood. At her wrists were common restraints, now ragged where they once bound her to a bed or a wall. Who knew? Visions of how she had chewed herself free seemed impossible. Choking another small moan back, the girl began to weep and looked back up at the night sky, whimpering, barely audible. I can't do this anymore. Then immediate and loud, Why are you here? The girl's head snapped back to strict eye contact, and another voice erupted. Why are you here? Who sent you? Twitching out of control on the left, her face contorted. One pupil dilated to an impossible disc ringed with bright yellow. Laurel now knew who she was speaking to. I'm here to help you, she said. She's going to jump, replied the demon through the mouth of the girl, who immediately began to weep. Knees buckling, she collapsed, one arm still gripping the steel bar. Laurel knelt beside her. And what you need is what? She whispered. Make it stop! The girl screamed, frustrated. It makes me... Her explanation trailed off in tears. Laurel noticed the scars, the stitches, all fresh, all self-inflicted. 
Rapid and brutal, the girl punched herself in the teeth as hard as she could. Laurel jerked back, shocked at the sudden assault. The force sent the girl sprawling back onto the gravel, laughing in one guttural voice and crying out in pain with her own. The black and yellow eye rolled gleefully seeking Laurel, and when it saw her, the laughter stopped like a slammed door. The body sat up. This crescendo of pain. The voice choked through the girl's tears. Nearly cross-eyed, the evil eye regarded the girl it possessed as best it could from that angle, then made her bite her own tongue almost hard enough to bleed. She stopped crying and shrunk back quickly, panting breath through her nose to calm her own weeping so the demon could speak uninterrupted. This crescendo of pain is at a sick plateau. She wants to end it. I can't let her do that. I broke her arms. She came here. They shot her full of stuff. It messed me up now that she can't feel a thing. Next time I won't go looking for a girl within walking distance of a hospital. The demon yelled to the street below. Lesson learned, okay? Lesson bloody well learned. I don't understand, said Laurel. Clearly the girl was possessed, but by what she had no idea. Do you know who I am, then? The demon nodded the girl's head. What will you have me do? She asked quietly. The demon woman shrugged. I don't know. Break her fucking back. What? I'm trapped. We shared this body, but the painkiller they gave her trapped me here. I need suffering to go on. I collect suffering. Then I go home. The girl began to weep again. Aggravated, the demon mumbled and began clawing to gain leverage with barely healed arms. Clamoring toward the steel rail, Laurel followed. With a bang, the girl's head smacked off the rail. Before Laurel knew what was happening, she reeled back for another blow, lining up with the patch of blood left on the rail. Laurel reached to steady her, but the girl flung her hand away. No! the demon roared. Flinging the possessed body back again, arching its spine to whip her skull at the bar again. Metal rang with the force of her head cracking, and the girl stumbled back. Make it stop! My God, please make it stop! Blood cruised down her forehead from the gash that had split open on impact. Horrified, Laurel stepped back. The girl registered her and came toward her, arms outstretched. Throw me over, for God's sake! It won't... It won't let me... Breaking down in earnest now, for once, the demon letting her cry. That's better, said the demon, digging a finger into the girl's skull. She traced a finger back and forth, widening the cut. Withdrawing the bloody finger, the demon inspected it and sighed. It's just not enough. Looking to Laurel, pleading with the yellow-rimmed eye, while other half of the girl's battered face contorted in sorrow. Laurel turned. She began to walk toward the edge of the wall, to the ladder. Bad shepherd, boomed the demon behind her. Hell's Gate will not wait for you. She stopped, 
but did not turn around. She intended to walk away. Help demons, yes, but she couldn't do this. She would not hurt another person. Imagine if we came to collect you. Imagine what we would do if you did not come willingly. Imagine what demon kind could do to your soul. A soft crack punctuated her rant. Looking back to the girl, Laurel saw her now rebroken right arm flop toward the ground. Staring with wild intent and menace, the demon raised the girl's left arm and cracked it over the rail. Oh, God! screamed the girl through the demon's laughter. Arms flapping, flesh began to tear between her wrist and elbow where the ragged, sharp bones protruded. The girl flung her body at the rail again, attempting to send herself over. Oh, no, you don't! yelled the demon through their torn mouth. Laurel! the deep voice demanded, lurching the shared body backward. Help me! Without a second thought, she marched up to the body. Grabbing one broken, flailing hand, she twisted with all of her might. The girl screamed in her face. The yellow-rimmed eye closed, peacefully relieved. Laurel gripped the broken left arm with both hands. Twisting hard, flesh gave. Tendons snapped, and veins sprayed arcs of blood. The arm broke free, save one tough strand stretched out from the ragged wound. Bracing herself, she planted one foot hard on the leg of the demon, grabbed the right arm and pushed with all her strength, tearing it away. Screaming, the girl stumbled back, elbows bent and unbent, flexing furiously as she had no hands to stop the flow of her own blood. Automatic movements of her missing arms were useless as she panicked. Laurel dropped the still-hot and blood-soaked forearms to the floor. Unsmiling and calm, she advanced on the girl again, who turned and ran to the railing again. One bare foot found a lower rail, and she pushed herself up as Laurel grabbed her hair. Bent backward, every tendon strained, the demon growled, "'That's it! Guard your eyes out! Tear out her throat!' The gash on her forehead widened as Laurel pulled the greasy hair back in one hand. Bracing herself against the girl's spine, she pulled. The wounded skin of her forehead split wider. Shrill screams rang out, one after another. There were no thoughts or words for the girl now, only anguish. Tortured howls came from the roof as Laurel pushed the girl another fraction over the edge and pulled her hair with the other hand. Bearing her teeth, hair wrapped around her fist, Laurel threw her body back, tearing at the girl with every muscle she could. Flesh freed from the skull of the girl, barely catching her footing on the stones, Laurel crouched with the girl's scalp in her fist. Sudden exhaustion won her over. She stayed down, panting, with the fleshy wig slack in her hand. Like a bird, the girl leapt to the perch on the rail. Bloodied bare feet offered no more balance than her missing arms. 
Grinning, she teetered, then spit a broken tooth over the rail. With curiosity, she watched it land on the street below. The girl's eye had closed, and the demon's eye was open wide, leaving that impossibly black orb looking at Laurel. The left eye's gaze was softer now that the bright yellow glow was fading. One side of the demon's smile was swelling. Blood caked the face and streamed steadily from the slick, bare skull. Knees drawn up in every bit the gargoyle. She had never seen a more horrific sight than this bald, battered woman with a demon inside. What now? asked Laurel. Make your way to Hell's Gate. Do you know where that is? She nodded, still holding the hair of the dying girl in her hand. She seemed unable to loosen her grip. You've been promoted, said the demon. Nodding, she knew. Shepherd, reaper, thresher, butcher, all the same to me. The demon was making no sense, but carried on anyway. Don't ask me what happens after Hell's Gate. I'm really just a kid. The story ends there? Yes, she smiled. Go soon. I think they're waiting. Laurel nodded again. The demon looked once more to the night sky with a satisfied sigh. One eye, the yellow one, faded back to match the other. Her face relaxed and the demon was gone. Leaning slowly to one side, the girl dropped over the rail. Without a word, she fell to the concrete below. Bracing herself on one knee, Laurel stood, joints aching. She dropped the scalp off the edge and watched it descend lifeless as its owner on the ground below. A moment later, a right arm joined the pile of broken limbs, then the left arm. Thud, thud, then silence. Laurel turned her back to the night sky toward the stairwell to visit her father one last time. Long abandoned, the farm had fallen into disrepair. Half of the barn roof had collapsed, yet one of the sheds, the storage shed, stood as it had when she was a child. Some things were built to last. As she made her way up the path, she saw the smaller shed had disintegrated. The corrugated metal roof, now rusted, stuck up like a lost kite stuck in an encroaching field. Very few boards remained upright, and the door was missing entirely. Recalling the warm scent of the baby chicks under hot lights during the first few weeks of life did nothing to lift her spirits in this scene of neglect. The ponds had dried. There were no buttercups anymore. Rusted wire looped over the metal frame of the gate threatened to crumble under her hand. She pushed hard and the gate remained open. It would likely never close again without falling apart. The rear field was unkempt. No breeze stirred the chest-high grasses or thistle. 
Giant foxtail tickled her arms, and dried claws of tansy tugged at her hair and clothes. Old Vetch tangled the undergrowth, grabbing at her ankles with every step. She walked on, tearing through the barren and wild field where there had never been a path. Living things scrambled, rustling in the quiet night. Snakes, voles, she could not tell if they were running away from her in fear or coming out of the dark burrows to greet her. The moon hung low. Its orange glow on the ancient land around her was just enough to see by. She did not need light to find the post. She walked toward the pines. No breeze disturbed the gate tonight. The trees stood silent and still. She neared the dark wood pillar in the center of the field. All crawling and slithering sounds around her ceased. She held her breath, listened quietly, and could only barely hear the voice from under the soles of her shoes. Laurel. Concentrating on the earth around the post, she listened to the faint sound of what could be the peeps of baby chicks. That shrill and distant cacophony could be the hunger and longing of a hundred birds, or the cries of a thousand tormented and damned. It drifted up from the soil, up from hell. Societies rise and societies fall. When the time comes, one society steps forward to build a better future. The Wicked Library, Kettle Whistle Radio, Night Story Podcast, Prog Watch, Red Horse Radio, The Lift, History Goes Bumble. Listen, the M Writing Podcast, Society 13, Rebuilding Society, one podcast at a time. <laughs>